Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome to the Heater Podcast. This is Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. And you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to hit subscribe today. Uh, As always, our Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking choices for movies and any baseball game as we gear up for another baseball season. A marathon, or excuse me, a sprint instead of a marathon. Uh, again, come hungry, leave happy, River Creek Popcorn. And uh, just like we're getting ready to celebrate in a few other ways, it is a Christmas in July special this upcoming weekend. Oh, you're on the ball. That, that only put that out there a couple hours ago. That's impressive. I got eyes and ears everywhere, <laughs> you man. You do. That's impressive. Uh, Christmas in July, buy two of anything. So smalls, mediums, or large and get the third one free. That's what we decided to do because it's time. We got to do some specials. Got to do uh, something to try to keep cool, even if it's uh, trying to keep mentally cool. It wasn't as bad this weekend as the weekend before, where it was, you know, 90 and humid. This was 80 and humid. So I let my dad come back outside this weekend to help out. The other week, I benched him in the air conditioning. But this week, eh, business was pretty good, too. So I not complain. You had, the, uh, uh, had him warming up in the bullpen ready That's to right. go? That's right. His arms flexed out and ready to go. So he had his uh, hiatus and now comes back at full strength and hopefully was whipping it out pretty well there with the uh, uh, added a few miles per hour on that uh, fastball. Oh, yeah. That's that's what he does. (laughs) Well, we look forward to a uh, wonderful Christmas in July weekend. I might have to take take advantage of that offer myself. You come over. I'll be there. We'll talk if I'm not really busy. (laughs) <laughs> Speaking of talking, this is what we do, whether it's uh, all sorts of topics of choice, but especially baseball, and that's what we're here to do uh, uh, today. And as we uh, take a look at the upcoming season, again, we're at the 10-day warning. I'm extremely excited wow. for that. We're I under... Think of that. You're right. It is yes, 10 days, isn't it? Are, yeah. Almost can, single can, digits tomorrow. I can count that's on right. two hands now. I don't need my toes. We are getting there. I even had a, uh, a baseball reference in my sermon this past uh, this Sunday. Nice. So I'm, Who was I'm, it? I'm ready uh, to go. I mentioned... Uh, uh, I referenced the uh, a baseball song, uh, Kenny Rogers, The Greatest. Nice. Uh, so nice. That, that was uh, a topic that actually did connect. It wasn't just baseball for baseball's sake or the fan and me getting out as I was talking. But there That's actually good. was a point to it. That's good. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's nice to be able to have a point once in a while. I'm going to try <laughs> to have one here today. Uh, and as we look at the upcoming season, uh, just a few more updates. As we, uh, we knew the closer we got to this, there would be more players uh, that we're going to be opting out for health reasons. We knew mm-hmm. the list at the beginning was not exhaustive, and we'd be hearing more names coming up. Some of them we expected. Buster Posey was a name that was out there yep. uh, as a possibility. Now that's been confirmed. Yeah, He had two young, I believe he adopted two twins, and they are both still, they were born premature, and so he has chosen to stay out for the safety of his family and the safety of his young children who are still in the Niku unit. And... um Gabe Kapler, his manager, came out and backed him up, said he fully supported him. It is his decision, which is exactly what you like to hear because it is his decision. And one where, again, there are some things that are more important than baseball, and uh, with uh, things taking place there, uh, gives a chance to uh, uh, to play Mr. Dad as well. Uh, and so that's uh, a good thing there during those uh those that early stage of, of life and to be able to play a supportive role uh, in that household. So best wishes to him and his family this upcoming year. There are a few other names that due to pre-existing medical conditions was kind of expected. Uh, Jordan Hicks from the St. Louis Cardinals. So Hicks is coming off of Tommy John surgery last year, but a couple years ago he became like an internet sensation because of his 104 mile an hour fastball. We're not talking about just throwing fastballs. We're talking about really bringing the fastballs. And uh, when you throw that hard, it's hard on the shoulder. So we had Tommy John surgery last year, but he has type 1 diabetes, which is a pre-existing condition, which makes his immune system already a little compromised. And we know that coronavirus is rough on people with compromised immune systems. So he has decided to opt out for the safety of himself. I wonder if that moves Carlos Martinez more into that yeah. bullpen role. They, they haven't been able to decide what they want to do with him yet. It's him, and they always talk about Giovanni Gallegos. That's been the other one that's been hyped up a lot. So they are excellent at usually finding someone. So you, the Cardinals, we talked about them last week, yep, and they yep. tend to be 
just a very solid organization that has a lot of depth. So I'm sure they'll find somebody and Jordan Hicks can take this year off and get himself even more recovered from the Tommy John and stay healthy. Two other names. Uh, one is uh, with the White Sox as they're trying to uh, emerge uh, into the upcoming uh, uh, season, looking at trying to maybe be a, a wild card contender. Uh, Michael Kopech. So Kopech is a young guy. I mentioned last week uh, the Moncada trade with Chris Sale. Kopech was right after that. It was even part of that trade. Anyway, he is one of the premier pitching prospects in the game, but he also Another had Tommy, Tommy John, John surgery yep. last year. Yep. And he also throws extremely hard. Uh, Kopech was expected to come up and be a contributor this year. Uh, actually, he's probably expected to be that last year. I drafted him on my fantasy team earlier in this year, so I expected him to help out, but we're not really sure if he has a pre-existing condition. He has elected to opt out, and it's it's one of these cases where we're not getting a lot of information, and it's not necessary that we need that information. He chose to opt out, and he can do that. Yeah, for whatever the reason uh, may be, did not feel comfortable uh, coming into this uh, this shortened season. And again, when you're coming off a of Tommy John surgery anyways, and this isn't a regular off season, uh, the way that arms are going to be pushed in, in different ways, it might be better for his health long-term anyways uh, in regards to that. Uh, the last guy that I have on this list is uh, one that I had picked for my uh, rookie of the year. Sorry for the kiss of death. Uh, but with the uh, Oakland Athletics, uh, Jesus Luzardo. So Luzardo's the left-hander that Oakland, he had... He had elbow problems last year because he was also expected to make a big impact last year and missed about five months of the season, came back at the very end and helped out in the playoffs. You brought him up in the rookies. We both brought him up as being probably the premier left-handed pitching prospect in the game. I believe we know that he has COVID-19 at this point and is not yet at camp. So again, he's not, and we should clarify, it's not that he's opting out of the yeah. year, but we just know that uh, COVID is going to impact his start time. Uh, and we, everything's up in the air. We don't know for sure what all that means. When we know, we'll tell you as, as well. Uh, no, as we talked before, and I didn't bring this guy. We should mention Eduardo Rodriguez of yes. Boston is another one. So we talked about how bad Boston's rotation looked on paper, and Eduardo Rodriguez was probably going to be their ace, and he has COVID-19 also. And we don't know how it's going to affect. Yes, these are pro athletes, excellent shape, but we know that Freddie Freeman had it hit him really hard. And Jesus Cesardo could have it hit him really hard. And I don't know if these are symptomatic or asymptomatic, but no matter what, it's going to be causing health concerns in your lungs, which pro athlete or not, that's not good. <laughs> I think that's going to impact, obviously, outfielders and pitchers the most. The type of... Uh, Strenuous. Uh, correct. And, and I think that's that's the long-term effect that we don't know yet, how that's going to impact professional athletes in this way. Uh, since I'm obviously attuned to what's going on in Tampa Bay, the one I'll mention there is there's a handful of players that due to uh, not a lot of information being out there, due to uh, policy that teams cannot or are not authorized to say if a player has tested positive for COVID without their express consent of uh, the player, uh it leaves uh, reporters very uh, just left wondering why they're not there. You know that people aren't there, but you don't know the why. And there's a lot of key players on that list for Tampa Bay right now. Uh, you look at Tyler Glasnow uh, has not been there. Uh, Yanni Chirinos. Uh, so there's two-fifths of your rotation. Brendan McKay, who you're looking at yeah. potentially being that, has not been there. Jose Martinez hasn't been there. Austin Meadows was there on day one of camp and hasn't been since. Those are some so, premier players that yeah. we talked about. So those are a lot of big names. Now, again, they are uh, blessed with a lot of uh, depth to try to overcome that, but that's a lot of talent, and you just you just don't know what's going on. You don't know if it's all, is it all COVID? Is any of it COVID? We, we don't know. Uh, and so it'll be uh, interesting in a, another 10 days, but at this point, missing this much, regardless if they came back tomorrow, this is going to impact their start time. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to be ready when, when things were already short to begin with. So you're probably losing those guys, especially the starting pitchers. You will be losing them for at least the first two weeks of the season. I don't see any other way around that. One thing that has kind of amazed me is we see these scrimmages on TV, and some of these pitchers are going a lot longer than I thought. I think it was Lance Lynn threw like 87 pitches for the Rangers. I couldn't believe that they were that stretched. I mean, I guess... Charlie Morton five went five innings in his, uh, uh, yesterday. Some of, you see some of these. I thought it was going to be, and I know some of the teams are coming out and they're saying they're going to limit their starters to three innings, and some of them say, no, nope, we're full go. I, I, it's a testament to them staying in shape this whole time because I thought a lot of these guys would come out and we'd see 40 pitches, 50 pitches, and some of these guys are getting up into the 90s already, which is 
that's wonderful. Good for them to do it. They, that will help right now getting any sort of length out of your starting pitcher without risking their health is huge uh, because because uh, so many are not going to be uh, at that length. So when you have some that are able to go, that is going to save your bullpen uh, immensely. Uh, so hopefully that can be done uh, safely uh, and effectively. And with some of these guys, uh, especially the veterans who are committed to keeping themselves uh, in shape with this, you'll have some guys that will be ready and raring to go. I still don't expect uh, more than five innings. I think the the biggest will be six. I think someone's going to surprise with six innings right out of the gate. But I'd be shocked if it's any more than that. You want to take a guess at who it's going to be? I have my guess in my head. I want to hear who your guess is. Justin Verlander. I was going to say Max Scherzer, so we're close. Yeah. I could see, like, <laughs> those are, like, the bulldog types. Like, do you always yep. hear those discretion? Like, guys that are just like, give me the ball, let me throw. They can roll out of bed and, th- and throw you a complete game if it was back in that era, so... But all right, so that's pretty much everything for the update on upcoming season. Again, as more players, as more things come up, we'll keep you posted. But our schedule for today is we are going to be taking a look and continuing our our GOAT series, Greatest of All Time, as we looked at look at left fielders. And as we look at uh, left fielders, uh, we will have our just missed list and then go into our, our starting nine. For those who maybe are, are listening for the first time, Corey and I have, uh, have put together our starting nine of best left fielders of all time. We know the names, at least that uh, who's on, who's not on each other's list, but we have no idea where we each have ranked them. So we will find out at the same time as you and ask questions uh, accordingly. So as before, we, let me back up, before we look at the uh, uh, the almost missed list, uh, we're going to take a look at a uh, more of a, a famous left fielder in our era uh, who just retired in the last few years. It's been about four or five years already. Time flies. Uh, but uh, Carl Crawford uh, was an incredible athlete coming out of the, uh, I forget what year, in the, early, in the late 90s, out of the draft. So he was drafted in 99, uh, pick, looks like pick one of the second round out of I Houston, second, Texas. I second-guessed myself. I was yeah. I had 99 on my mind, and never I never second guess yourself. It. He retired 2016, so four years ago? Yeah. And a uh, 15-year career, the Tampa Bay years. Obviously, you went. You were a Tampa Bay fan, so the Tampa Bay years are what everybody knows him for. Signs that massive contract with Boston and seven years, hundred forty-two mil. Doesn't live up to it, and he had still had some good years, but it never was the same. Maybe some people don't love that spotlight. Tampa Bay is a big diff- big difference from Boston, and, and I think the first year or two was okay, but it, it tapered off uh, fast. He's uh, one of those players. We talk about these players where the first half of the year career is easy, right? The first yep. half of the career is easy, and then it gets hard, especially when you're a player like him who relies on the speed. And he absolutely relied on the speed and slowed down a little bit. And Once injuries hit players of speed, uh, that second half of the career uh, can can fall off a cliff fast. But in his uh, nine years with the, with the Devil Rays, uh, he was a four-time All-Star uh, player, two gold gloves. He led the league in stolen bases and triples on four different occasions. Uh, and overall, a, a good 15-year career. Obviously, first nine better than the last six. Uh, but I had the opportunity to uh, talk to Carl uh, uh, Crawford uh, when he was playing the Minnesota Twins back in 2006, uh, and a player that was on the rise at that time uh, was the team leader at that point and was hoping that he would see uh, brighter days ahead. And when you mention Devil Rays, you don't think of success. Uh, and he was a guy who made it from that era to the new era and at least had a chance to be a part of some of those uh, special uh uh, teams in that transition. So here's an interview with Carl Crawford, and you might be surprised to uh, know just how much of an incredible athlete uh, he was. And so here's him talking about uh, when he was uh, drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays in the second round. He also had competing scholarships with UCLA to be a point guard for them and a scholarship to Nebraska to be an option quarterback. Uh, so let's take a look at the uh, athlete Carl Crawford right now. Scholarship to UCLA to play basketball as a point guard. Another one to Nebraska to play football as an option quarterback. And you were drafted second round by the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. What made you choose baseball over the other two offers? Well, uh, at the time, you know, it was better off for me to choose baseball because, uh, you know, the situation my family was in, uh, the money they offered me out of high school, I figured that, you know, it's, it's an opportunity that um, we would never have. So I just kind of went that route, the baseball route out of high school. Is there any sport you can't play? 
Uh, I try to. I like sports. Period, man. I watch soccer. I watch lacrosse. I just watch tennis. I just like sports. Period, man. I try to play all of them. I probably can't play all of them, but I definitely try. Well, you're in hockey country. Can you get get a stick and get ready? That's probably the only sport I probably because I can't ice hockey for nothing. I try to go uh, ice hockey, and uh, I, I just I, I don't think that's probably the only sport I probably couldn't do, man. No matter how hard I try. You're on pace to improve your average home runs and RBIs for the fifth consecutive year that you've been in the majors. Do you feel that you're reaching what you're capable of, or do you think the best is yet to come? Uh, I think I'm just trying to get better. Uh, you know, they say you you don't you don't really learn everything until you're like 29 or 30 years old anyway. So if that's said, then I, I feel like, yeah, my best years are, are ahead of me. So I just want to keep getting better and learning. You're regarded as one of the fastest players in the majors and recently you stole for the cycle against the Boston Red Sox. I have some friends that live in Florida that were at that game and told me that I have to watch SportsCenter to check out the highlights. But, um, you know, where does that rank among your personal achievements? Oh, that's up there because, you know, it's uh, just something that you never imagine yourself doing on, on at the major league level. So I pretty say it's up there with, uh, you know, with my five for five night. So um, that's, that's I'm always remember that night, especially because it was against the Red Sox. I've heard you say you know, that you are a Devil Ray, but not only that, but you want to be a Devil Ray. Why is that? Because I want to kind of start my own thing. You know, I don't want to go somewhere. I mean, this is the team that drafted me, and I don't want to kind of bail out on the guys. You know, right now when things are bad, I want to just try to start my own own legacy, whatever you want to call dynasty, whatever you want to call it, man. Just want to try to do something to where, you know, it'll stick out. It'll be more important to me in the end because of the, the things that we've been through from the beginning to the end. Final question for you. Do you think this franchise is starting to turn the corner? Well, we're definitely making the move to turn the corner. You know, uh, when we turn the corner, it'll be, you know, we'll have to see it in the future. But we're definitely uh, going in the right direction, and that's, that's the only thing you can ask for right now. And that is Carl Crawford of the uh, Tampa Bay uh, Devil Rays. Uh, he was uh, a player that was fun to watch growing up. Uh, his athleticism, there were so many games uh, that uh, – with being such a, a threat on the base pass, just how uncomfortable he made pitchers, uh, they would try the pickoff move on him. And there's at least, at least uh, I'd say in double digits every year that they tried, that he would still beat the throw to second base, base after yeah. the pickoff throw. He was so good at that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, was good at embarrassing the Red Sox, and that's before he gave him too much money, uh, but uh, stole home uh, off them. Did he really? I don't at remember a six-steal game against them. Those are rare. I think we. I don't remember who it was we talked about. Someone had a six steal game that we talked about in the goat series. So those are those are highly uncommon. But that's, yeah, that's uh, what you want. Ties that uh, that is the major league uh, record. I would put money on that John Lester was pitching that day. If, if not him, then it would be like Tim Wakefield with the knuckleball. Oh yeah, it could be uh, that Tim was always Wakefield. one of the worst it could be, I ones. There. It was probably before. Yeah, maybe John Lester was there. It's hard to get, tell, but yeah, Tim Wakefield with his seventy mile an hour heat up there. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. And uh, Crawford was with during those uh, those bad years, but also was there in the last couple of seasons. He was there from 08 to uh, 2010 before uh, he ended up going off to the, the Boston Red Sox. So he at least had a chance to be a part of that uh, transition to see uh, the team uh, uh, completely re- re- change itself into a uh, perennial contender, which is uh, amazing to say overall. He got into the playoffs. They got into the playoffs in 2008 with him. So he got to World play series. for the playoffs. Yeah, that's good. That's so nice to see a, a guy like that be able to uh, uh, turn that around. But uh, speaking of left fielders and those who had a uh, just missed career, but a very good career, we each have a, a name uh, on ours that... Uh, I'll go first. Have at her. I want to go first. I'm going to take Billy Williams. So this is the third player from the 60s, 50s eras Cubs that we've talked about, essentially, in these GOAT series. And somehow they've never made the playoffs. Because there could be a fourth. Ferguson Jenkins could come up sometime at pitcher. We've already talked about Ernie Banks and Ron Santo. And that team just could not get into the playoffs. Billy Williams in the Hall of Fame, uh, left fielder, 426 career home runs with a 290 average. Now, I I believe I counted this 14 straight seasons, over 20 home runs. Now, he never leads the league in home runs. He never leads the league in One year, he leads the league in runs scored at 137. But no MVPs. He gets, he's a six-time All-Star. Fine player. Very good player. Just barely missed out on my thing. I feel like he just didn't do quite enough in any one static, but absolutely deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. He would be my number 10 if we were doing 10. 
And at my 10 would be someone uh, in a similar fashion of Carl Crawford, similar type of player, just with uh, a little more uh, longevity to go with it. And that's Tim Raines, seven-time All-Star career, 295 batting average, 385 on-base percentage, 425 slugging percentage. So that wasn't part of his game. But he was only one of four players with over 2,500 hits, 1,500 runs scored, and 800 stolen bases. I would guess we're going to talk about at least one of those today. Probably. I think at least one. Yeah, at least one. Of, I'm trying to think of who the other ones would be, but that is, that's impressive. Tim Raines, very good player, finally got in the Hall of Fame after a long stretch of trying to get in. Was it two years ago he got in, I believe? I think that's correct. Yeah. Deserving all those years with Montreal. Another, another guy that probably gets dinged for being on a team that yep. doesn't exist yep. anymore. Let's go into number nine. I'm going to start. My number nine is the start of my... When I started doing this, there was two things I realized. One of them is the Red Sox have some incredible left fielders. (laughs) I'm going to start with Jim Rice. Uh, Finished second in Rookie of the Year in 1975 to the teammate to the left. In center field, Fred Lynn played that year, won Rookie of the Year and MVP, so he finished second in Rookie of the Year to his center field counterpart. All 16 years playing left field for Boston. Eight All-Star games, two Silver Sluggers. 1975 to 1986 is what I called prime Jim Rice. During that time, he's got the third most home runs in baseball, only behind Mike Schmidt, who we both had as the unanimous third baseman, and Dave Kingman, who very famous for his power as another left fielder. During those 11 years, he has the most RBIs in the game. He wins the MVP in 78 with 406 total bases, the first player with over 400 total bases since Lou Gehrig 40 years earlier. Um, led the league in total bases four times, home runs three times. He's the only player ever with three straight 35 home run, 100 RBI, 200 hit seasons. Career 298 and five seasons over five war. I think that left field was manned well for the Red Sox. You are going to have, and I think it's safe to assume, almost half of this list, four uh, left fielders are from the Boston Red Sox. You nailed it. Yep, I'm going to have four Boston Red Sox, I said, essentially from 1940-ish till 2010, they have some incredible players out there in left field. Uh, Jim Rice finally also got in the Hall of Fame. We talked about it with Tim Raines. Jim Rice was up for election for a long time. Eventually, he got in. Yeah, when you look at it, it's just a career of being a – it wasn't super long. 16 years isn't super long. We talked about some of these guys that have 20-plus years, but one from his stretch, he was really, really good. Uh, your theme is going to be Boston Red Sox players. My my theme is going to be controversy. Uh, and in this list, Ooh. there's at least uh, three players that are going to be people will have a wide range of opinions, uh, not only on their on-the-field ability, but their off-the-field ability. And I'm going to start that at number nine. This is where I placed Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, and it's not uh, – the talent is unquestioned. Uh, career 356 batting average, career 356 batting average, 423 on base percentage, 517 slugging percentage. He did everything. The problem was the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Not as much about the scandal because we've already gone through that philosophy that I just want, if they have the talent, vote them in and just put a whole wing that is left to that, that controversial wing mm-hmm. and just let people d- debate within it. Because uh, scandals have been a part of baseball. We'll talk more about bigger ones uh, as well. As big a ones, I suppose, uh, that's going to do things too. But he's one of two players who were banned for life uh, as a result of scandals. His career was cut short at age 32. That's the reason why I have him this low on my list. If he would have had a longer career, I would have had no problem putting him, putting him up higher. Uh, on my list, but when your career ends at 32, we don't get a chance to see that second half of the career, uh, and and you need that uh, for this type of list. So again, incredible athlete, tragic story, uh, but definitely a, a gifted baseball player. Yeah, he's he's a little higher on my list, but because just because I think I tend to probably just look at the shortened career and like I did with Thurman Munson all the way back at catcher and say, you know, that's what he did during that time was really great. And Julius Joe, I'll, I'll bring him up in a little bit. I'm going to go on to my next Boston left fielder because right after Jim Rice, I put the player that he replaced. So Carl Yastrzemski is my number eight, uh, which is Carl Yastrzemski is one of the best replacements ever because he stepped in for a guy that's going to be talked about later on in Ted Williams. So that progression of Ted Williams to Yastrzemski to Jim Rice is just the 
Got to be one of the best progressions in the history of sports in any one of them. One ESPN writer said that when it came to Carl Yastrzemski that his biggest accomplishment, and you're going to talk about all the stats here in a second, but his biggest accomplishment was being able to replace Ted Williams effectively. How many times do we see it happen really effectively in any sport? Aaron Rodgers from Brett Favre, Steve Young from Joe Montana, um, running out. It, it, it is it, rare. When you're trying to replace someone that rare. famous, yeah. So Carl Yastrzemski, all 23 seasons in Boston, 18 All-Star games, six gold gloves. His 3,308 games are the most all-time when he retired. It's been passed by Pete Rose since then, who we'll also talk about because today everybody just passes each other up apparently. When it's all said and done, he's got 3,419 hits, 1,816 walks, 1,844 RBIs. He's one of only three players in history. The other two are Barry and Babe to have at least 1,800 runs, 1,800 RBIs, and 1,800 walks. He led the league in batting three times, including 1967 when he won the Triple Crown and the MVP that year. Eight seasons over five war, including an 11 in there. That's the Triple Crown year. 11 is really, really high. And he is the part of the only grandfather-grandson duo in the history of baseball. His, fa- his grandson, Mike, plays right now for the Giants. And uh, a late bloomer uh, in getting a shot at the majors, but uh, nice year last year, yeah, yeah so rooting for him to uh, to have at least a, a solid career that would be awesome. My number eight is I'm going to go on to a different Boston Red Sox left fielder, uh, and that's again continuing with the controversy era. Manny being Manny he's my is what seven. he's known for. Manny Ramirez, twelve time All Star, a World Series MVP, and I think I've said before. Uh, not only MVP, but World Series MVP matters to me because it means you stepped up when your team needed you the most. And when you think of the uh, uh, the the Babe uh, uh, curse, the curse of the Bambino, uh, and for you to step up and break that curse, uh, World Series MVP, uh, career 312 batting average, 411 on base percentage, 585 slugging percentage. He is regarded, if you ask any uh, journalist that's out there, any sports journalist who's covered baseball for a long time, one of the most feared right-handed hitters of all time, regardless of position. Uh, now, of course, there's the uh, clubhouse uh, cancer, kind of, some of those types of things, as well as uh, uh, being linked to, to steroids is the other part of that. So again, it's a uh, wherever you place him. There's no question on the on the talent, uh, but this is where I have it, number eight. So he's my seven. You mentioned most of it. Uh, I put him up here partially ahead of those other Red Sox left fielders because of the postseason success. His 29 postseason home runs is still the most by any player. The 78 RBIs are the most all time by anyone. You you talk about the steroid scandal, but we're going to hit people higher up on this list that are going to deal with steroids. So if I'm not worrying about them, I put Manny at seven because you you gave the stats. Look up slugger in a dictionary, and you can see Manny Ramirez. He the home runs are all there. He's in the top ten all time in slugging percentage. My number seven. One of the, I guess I, I don't want to forget about Bonds. So I guess one of the three best batting eyes uh, of this past generation. Uh, when you think of Barry Bonds at the plate, it's mm-hmm. not just power. It's just the ability to see everything. Whenever your career uh, on-base percentage is over 400, you're doing something right. Uh, and then you count in the the power, doing a little bit of everything. But Manny Ramirez, uh, Miguel Cabrera, and Barry Bonds, three yeah. of the best batting eyes of the past generation. Yeah, he's ninth all-time in slugging percentage, but he's 11th all-time in walks. So, yeah, that, that proves it right there. So at number seven for me, or did I skip you? No, my number seven was Manny. Okay, right. I've got three Red Sox down already. Three, three out of uh, three out of four. That that fourth one might be a little higher on that list. Yeah, the fourth one's not coming for a while. So at number seven for me is Willie Stargell, uh, and uh, here's here's what I found impressive about him. First the overall stats: seven time All Star, was an MVP again, World Series MVP. Career two eighty two batting batting average, three sixty on base percentage, five twenty nine slugging percentage. Uh, was definitely a power hitter. Uh, as as part of this, but his MVP season was at age 39. Uh, that is impressive. Uh, not only to be still playing at 39, but to be voted as MVP at age 39. Uh, here's where it's hard sometimes to rate and evaluate players when the game changes, when you think of how the, the ball changes, or you think of how pitching changes, or some major rule does things. 
here's someone who is impacted by that. When they, he slugged 491 in his 20s before they lowered the mound. When they, when that changed, that went up to, to a 555 slugging percentage. That was from uh, the 1969 year to 1979 year. So for the last 10 years, he averaged that much more. If he would have played his entire era in that time, these numbers would be bumped up even more. But again, MVP at age 39, credible uh, uh, athlete, respected for his leadership, uh, class act on and off the field. So Willie Stardell didn't make my list. Uh, I had looked him up and thought about putting him on my list. I think the thing that when it comes to Willie Stargell that I'd think about is he's on those Pirates teams. And when I think of those Pirates teams, I think of uh, right field, Roberto Clemente, yes. right? The yes. famous person. So Willie Stargell, super great power hitter. And from everything you ever read about him, an amazing person. So that's that's great. I'm glad that you had him that high. I, I did not get him on my list. Well, and I didn't get Jim Rice on, on mine. So that it was happens, uh, right? we're, we're different. two very good uh, good players and, and able to make a case for, for both on this list very easy. So my number six is your number nine, I believe, and that's Shoeless Joe. I put him up here. You mentioned the Black Sox scandal. We could talk for an hour about that. Uh, he really only plays nine years, and during that season he hits over 300 every year from 1911 to 1920 and going over 400 in 1911. Definitely not a home run hitter, but multiple times leading the league in doubles and triples. And in that short career, if you only say he played nine seasons, he has seven seasons of that that goes over 5-4. So for his short career, and yes, it is very short, but while he is on the field, he's the essentially he's the best player in play baseball yeah, during that he's time. He's elite. Right up there with Ty Cobb. So uh, I put him at six. For me at, at six, this is where I went to uh, uh, went back to the Boston Red Sox, and you got Carl Yastrzemski. And... His numbers impressed me when I looked at him again, and this is before my era, so just kind of going through and reviewing baseball history, which has been fun doing this list. Uh, but an 18-time All-Star, as you mentioned, uh, MVP, triple crown, uh, six gold gloves, uh, over 3,400 hits, uh, just impressive across the board. And you mentioned that 67 season when he... Uh, triple crown winner, 326 batting average, 418 on base percentage, 622 slugging percentage. He hit 44 home runs. But even more, what I, I love about that year is uh, in September, he hit 417 with nine home runs and 26 RBI uh, to help them get the pennant. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, where you see uh, not only an excellent year, but stepping up when your team needed you. Uh, impressive. So when we first started doing the left fielders today, I said you're going to see two things that I noticed. One of them was a lot of Boston players. The other one was this is a clear position where there's tiers. And absolutely, the top three are really set. We haven't got that high yet. Then there's two that are I'm assuming are probably going to be both of our four and fives. I'm not, I can't talk for you, but I know that for me, they definitely came out as four and five. And then that six, seven, eight, nine that we just went over. So now my number five is Pete Rose. Um, scandal. We talked about scandal. Pete Rose is scandal is betting on baseball. He's going to lead baseball in many categories, including hits, uh, plate appearances, at-bats, and hits, but he's not just an accumulator, even though he's played that much. He hit 303 for his career. That's the criticism of him, is yep. that he just played more than than uh, everyone else, and so therefore uh, it just became a, an accumulation of, of stats, but that's too it's, much of a, an unfair criticism. Yes, it is. Three World Series, 75, 76, and 80. Three batting titles, 68, 69, 73. Couple of gold gloves back-to-back. 17 All-Stars at five different positions. So he's an All-Star at first base, second base, left field, and right field. He's also the only player to play 500 or more games at five different positions. So he plays over 500 games at each of those positions. He was the... uh, We talk about positional flexibility in today's game. He was that before it was cool. Oh yeah. Uh, and and, oh, yeah. and doing all of those positions well. I, I don't even know if there's anyone right now. Uh, ben Zobrist uh, was an all-star uh, for a few seasons from uh, 2009 and then uh, up into with the Rays and then into the Cubs and, and he played a lot of different positions. But I think at I think he had a couple of all-star years and maybe at, at maybe at two different positions, second base and right field, maybe at two. Nobody no nobody one. can does does what he does, where he played that many positions at that high of a level. I don't think there's ever been a player since then who's done that. So the 44-game hitting streak in 78, I believe, is the second most all-time. And 15 seasons hitting over 300. You can say he's an accumulator, but 15 seasons over 300, It's at, at, the argument doesn't hold water. He's extremely good. Nine seasons over five war. 
I think a couple he gold gloves in his yeah. uh, repertoire here as as well, and and not just a. Uh, it's important to understand not only is he all, the all time hits leader, but he crushed the competition. Oh, it's not even close. Right. Four thousand two hundred and fifty six hits. Again, that's over eight hundred hits more than Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, just because he was on my uh, mm-hmm. one right before here, and so he's my Pete Rose is my number five as well. See, I said uh, the, so. The the lists are clear. The way I see it, there's these top at least four and five are clear to me. So my number four is Ricky Henderson. Am I right? You got yeah, it. See, the, those two are clear. Ricky Henderson, the Man of Steel, once again, all time great nickname. Uh. If the uniform doesn't get dirty, I haven't done anything in the baseball game. That's his famous quote, right? And he Pete was, Rose would agree with that one. Pete Rose would have agreed with that one. They were very similar. So Ricky Henderson, numerous records also. Career runs scored and stolen bases. He still has those records. We're 20 years later. When he retired, he had the lead in walks too. That's the consummate leadoff hitter. That is exactly what you want. I think we can both say this is the greatest leadoff hitter of, of all time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he, walks, he embodied steals, everything. Uh, that you would want out of a leadoff hitter, uh, completely defined the position, uh, and you have someone who uh, 279 uh, batting average, 401 on base percentage, uh, over 3,000 hits, still had uh, just about 300 home runs. That wasn't a big part of his game, but it still was there from time to time. Uh, you mentioned uh, the all-time runs leader, stolen base leader. Yeah, when he got on base, it didn't matter if he hit doubles or, or triples or home runs. He would add those bases uh, when he was on the base path. Uh, just an incredible uh, player. Did also have a, a gold glove uh, to his name. And to me, it's also impressive when a uh, when a leadoff hitter can win an MVP award. That's not the easiest thing to do. When you think of most leadoff hitters, you're you're not treated in the same way. Usually, you need more power to fully get recognized uh, by that type of voting. That's just the way it is. Uh, for him to uh, get an MVP season just shows you how good he was. So you're talking about with Pete Rose, how many more hits he had than the next competition. So Ricky Henderson is still the only person with over 1,000 steals, and he has 1,406. So he's 468 ahead of second place at this point. He led the league in steals 12 times. When he stepped up, he broke his rookie year. He broke a 65-year-old record when he stole 100 stole, stolen bases that year. And eventually, he set the all-time record stealing 130 bases in one season, which is incredible. That's the, the, Today, we were lucky if you get a 50-steal season. Um, got one, that one World Series and just a solid career, 12 seasons, 5 plus 4, including a 10, which, like you said, from a leadoff hitter, that's not easy. So I'm curious as we go into the, uh, the so he's next your four tier. right he's my four okay. as well okay so this next tier I didn't mean to cut you off this next tier my notes say these last three are interchangeable and nearly impossible to differentiate I would agree with that completely uh, you could have any one of these three at at number one uh, a three way tie at first would be the most accurate way to look at it but that's not the way these lists uh, nope. work so who do you have at number three. My number three is Barry Bonds, one of the four members of the 40-40 club. I believe the only other one we've ever brought up so far is A-Rod, one of two players with five 30-30 seasons. The only other one? You got this? Oh, I'm trying to – Ken Griffey? Bobby Bonds. Ah, the father-son. father-son combo. Seven-time MVP, most ever. Twelve silver sluggers, most ever. Most home runs ever. Most home runs in a season. Most walks ever. Once again – by a massive margin. I believe he is 400 walks clear. Most intentional walks ever, where I believe he is like 300 clear of the next game. Most games ever and left. He actually only leads baseball and home runs twice during his career, but he leads in on-base percentage 10 seasons and walks 12 seasons. People forget how good he is at defense. Eight gold gloves. Eight yes. gold gloves. So 17 seasons over five war, including five double-digit seasons with a 12 in there, which I believe is the highest one we've gotten to so far. Do you know what his uh, highest on base percentage was in his for one season? Insane, probably like five twenty. You need to go up a whole oh other run. That's insane. Six oh nine on That's base percentage incredible. on base sixty percent of the time. These are obscene numbers. Even if you put the if you played video games, you played <laughs> RBI baseball or anything else, and you had it at the lowest setting, these are video game numbers that he produced against major league quality pitching. It is insane. 
they would walk him all the time, right? I mean, some of those years he's drawn 120 intentional walks. Now he's doing that. So some of these years, okay, I'm just going to take 2004. He actually only gets up 373 times because he gets walked 232. So 373 at bats, he hits 45 home runs. That that's incredible. That is, I I can't even put that into words. How much more impressive that is when you look at it like that. Here's how I can describe it. Joe Madden, who is someone who is uh, very willing to do things a little bit differently, walks to a different beat, was willing to walk him in for a run when the, the bases, bases are loaded. loaded multiple times, yeah. Walked him in rather than face him. It's probably not the worst idea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> But that's the level uh, of opposing teams, the way they treated him. And really, that intentional walk, is also the, if you'd want to put him at number one, to me, that would be the stat I would give. Oh, yeah. Because it, that's how feared you are. The teams are like, nope, we're just going to give you, a, you're on base, we don't care. We'd rather have you on that base versus taking all the bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the uh, the most impressive stat to me in everything that is there. Uh, just the willingness to uh, intentionally walk him. See your three too. He is my three as oh well. Oh my goodness! So I, I, of I, course we can't go past Barry without acknowledging as well. He is the epitome, the poster child of the steroid era. Yes, he is. Uh, and if you watch uh, Ken Burns' documentary on uh, on baseball, uh, it seems like things shifted after the uh, and we and we talked about here the the coverage of uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, the chase, uh, the chase there. Barry Bonds that year puts up an incredible season that is almost virtually ignored because of the chase. And Ken Burns' position, the way he takes in the documentary, is that's when things changed for Barry. Uh, when he came back to uh, to camp afterwards the following year, massively that's bulked when he up. stealing bases, too. Yep. That's and exactly so that was the, the changing point in mentality of feeling like he wasn't getting the credit he was due, so he changed himself to be more of a power hitter. Not that he wasn't before. He already had the those types of numbers there, but the focus changed, uh, and it's that's where you have the... I think ultimately Barry Bonds will get in the Hall of Fame. He abs- uh, You could cut his career in half, and he could should get in the Hall yeah. of Fame. Like- the numbers were already Hall of Fame before yes. it. Uh, but again, I'm still of the position. If you have Barry in, then you have to let Pete in too. I think they should, like, when we've talked about this how many times, but you could cut Barry Bonds' career up at the age of 28 when he plays the first seven years. He's already got three MVP awards. Barry Bonds' Pittsburgh time is incredible in its own right. And then you take the second half of his career where he's he's clearly on steroids. It's no denying it. Like He admits it, and it becomes obscene numbers. Obviously, if there was no steroid scandal, he would be my number one because – statistically it's the most home runs, the most walks all time makes him uh, no brainer. Number one, but I put him three. seven MVPs, not seven, Four in a row at the end, <laughs> not seven, anything, seven MVPs. The, I don't think, is there anyone else who's had that many? No, no. He's got the most MVPs all time. I don't think there's anybody else that has more than four. So I don't think it's particularly close. And I said, he got four in a row, but he had three within his first seven years with Pittsburgh. So Barry Bonds, we could talk, hours we've me and you have sat yep. here and talked hours yep. on him before so i'm gonna move on to two and this is where it's gonna come down to i have ted williams at two same oh we did it we're gonna go wow look at that so ted williams he said simply i want to be known as the best hitter of all time and he certainly has a case for it the defense was below average i don't think he overly cared now i don't think anyone else cared nope. either he can post negative defensive metrics all he wants because what a hitter six batting titles Another guy, 12 on-base titles. Led that in every season for 10 straight years, well, from 1940 to 1949, but he misses three years to go be a pilot. So a 482 career on-base percentage is still the highest one all time. At one point, he reached base in 84 straight games. That's still never accomplishing it. So over half a season, he is on-base. It's Um, impressive that Barry Bonds didn't have that during his peak on-base years. It had to be close. I was trying to figure that out, too, because when I saw that, I was like, really, Barry Bonds didn't do it? But I could never, apparently not. Led the baseball in home runs, or the AL in home runs four times, and he has the second-highest slugging percentage of all time. So he's getting on base, but when he's hitting the ball, he's hitting it for power, too. Uh, 1941 is the last season someone's hit 400. 
he has two triple crowns in 42 and 47, and he missed another one in 1949 by 1,600 thousandths of a batting title, which somehow he didn't win an MVP either year he got a triple crown. Did you know that? Two triple crowns, no MVP in either of those years. I wonder if that's the only time that's happened for a, a triple crown to not get the MVP as, as well. I couldn't believe that. He did get two MVPs in 46 and 49 and finished second four other times. But those triple crown years, people were considered more valuable than him, which I found just mind-blowing. This was a guy that had a gift, obviously, on the field. Just could never find his way off it. Uh, alienated people faster than... Uh, taking a baseball the op in, in, in any direction. Uh, and it's kind of a, a, a tragic story off the field that way. Uh, but, uh, well, do you know the, the famous quote uh, that he, he has? I do not. He said, uh, when, they, when anyone sees him walk by, he wants them to say that this was, their walks the greatest uh, baseball player who ever lived. Well, he, certainly had a, he certainly had a case for it, right? Like, we're putting him here at two at left field, but when it comes to these all to the outfield players. These are where your most famous players are, right? We haven't gotten to right, but there's going to be the debate between Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. And left field is Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, and the guy who we're both going to have at number one. And center field is Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays. These are the premier players in baseball history. So Ted Williams, all you need to know is he basically misses five years of his career. Technically, he misses three, but in 52 and 53, he's gone almost the entire time back to Korea. An all-star every season when he's not interrupted in the military, so 19 of them, 2,021 walks to 709 strikeouts. An OPS over 1,000 every season but one. Every season but one. Most people are lucky if they put up an 800 and once in their career. 13 seasons of 5 plus 4 and 4 straight over 10. So 10 is otherworldly good, and he put it at 4 straight years. Yeah, this is another one, despite uh, uh, numbers already being incredible, if he had those other five years on top of it. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, fantastic player. Uh, obviously, you talked about four Boston Red Sox left fielders. There's no question on who the greatest left fielder is uh, nope. uh, over there. Nope. And uh, and what's neat when you have a, a ballpark like the, the Red Sox do at, at Fenway, uh, the greatest who's ever gone up against the uh, uh, the big green, green monster, monster yeah. out there, right? Yeah. What a famous ball. I mean, we do time on historic ballparks, but, you know, left field in Boston, quite the spot. On my bucket list is I want to catch a Rays Red Sox game on one of the seats, front row, on top of the, the Let's do it monster. in the summer so I can go with. I'm uh, game. No, no school then. Okay. So number one we both have is Stan Musial, I'm assuming. Um we had a hard time placing him positionally. We actually talked about him off the air back in first base. No matter where you play him, he's going to be very high on that list. Um, 929 games he plays in left, 783 he plays in right, and he actually plays 1,016 games in center, or at first, and 331 at center. But wherever he played, he played well. So he starts as a pitcher in the minors, but damages his shoulder diving for baseball, so he never pitches again. And when you hit like that, they found a way to get him. So he leads St. Louis to a World Series in 42, 43, 44, and 1946. And in 1945, he was gone serving in the Navy. So essentially, four straight years while he plays, he leads the team to the World Series. Three-time MVP, 1943, 1946, and 1948. In 48, he just misses the Triple Crown by one home run. And he's actually a back-to-back-to-back MVP the next five years, or the next three years, and another one five years later. So he finishes fourth four more times, or second four more times. I was going to say, not only did he win three, but voted uh, came in second place in four other seasons, which is incredible. Second all-time in total bases to another guy that we'll get to someday. Uh, 22 seasons, 24 times an All-Star, which, as you've pointed out beforehand, hard to comprehend because we didn't even know there was multiple All-Star games, but apparently from 59 to 62, multiple All-Star games. So more All-Stars than a season's played. Yeah, I, I think Stan Musial is what Ted Williams would have looked like if he had the other five years. Because mm-hmm. uh, there you see from a 19-time All-Star to a 24-time All-Star, that's what you're looking at. And uh, seven-time batting title uh, champion, uh, just an incredible athlete ag- across the board, incredible hitter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, one through three, you could place any of these guys interchangeably. Uh, but ultimately, when I looked at all three, uh, in the the twenty four and twenty two just I guess it was just insane. I, I just didn't even know how to how to uh, compute that. 
compute uh, this from 1941 to 1958. So 18 straight years, he hits above 300. Eight times he leads the league in doubles and 30. So then people say, oh, you know, he's devoid of home runs. No, he was not devoid of home run power. He hits over 30 home runs six times and he hits double digit every season of those 22 years. He gets to double digits, 1600 walks till 696 strikeouts. Here's an interesting one. So he has 3,630 career hits. Ready for this consistency? 1,815 at home, 1,815 on the road. There you go. That's that's impressive. Here's the last one I got on him. So Christian Yelich led baseball last year in on-base percentage at 429. Stan Musial's career on-base percentage was 417. From those 17 years, 1941 to 1958, he has only one season below 400. And three years, or excuse me, one season below 397 and three below 400. He gets up to a 450 on base percentage. That's that's incredible. Stan Musial, an amazing player. In 1962, in his age 41 season, he bats 330, 416 on base percentage. So just at only at career, although his career batting average was 331. So he just kind of averaged his career uh, for it. Uh, but just incredible numbers and a 508 slugging percentage at age 41. He still was uh, just came close to 20 home runs, uh, had 18 doubles and, and, and still a triple at age 41. Uh, I don't know if that means it would have been an inside the park homer for, uh, for someone else with younger legs or not. Uh, but uh, again, when you're doing this at, in the age 40, 41 seasons, uh, that's just in, incredible to see. Finished in the top 10 in MVP voting still at age 41. Look at 1948. 46 doubles, 18 triples, 39 home runs. That, I mean, you don't, those are, like you said, video, these, all three of these guys are video game numbers, really. Like, Stam usuals do not grow on trees. You'll be lucky to ever see another player that good. Well, look at the rest of that. 376 on base percentage, 450. Oh, that's no, that's no, his batting no. average. Sorry, that's yeah, his three, batting average. 376 <laughs> batting average, 450 on base percentage, 702 slugging percentage. Uh, just incredible uh, uh, across the board. Uh, one of the best seasons of all time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that wraps up our uh, uh, greatest of all time series for left field. Uh, next week, we'll take a look at center field. And as already mentioned, there's a couple of key names that you can be pretty confident will be uh, near the top of that list. Uh, but the rest of it, like for us, it was interesting to see uh, the second half of our list was remarkably different. Uh, mm-hmm. It was different names to a different uh, placements within. But once you got to five, everything was pretty well, uh, like you said, in those different tiers. It was uh, set, right? I mean, you, know, I we, you could have had difference three, two, and one. You could re- you told me, you could tell me that Barry Bonds is number one on any given day. And I would absolutely say sure. And Ted Williams and Stan Musial, but those, there's a clear top at left field. And I'm assuming there's going to be a clear top at both the other outfield positions too. It's a matter of who will we pick Willie Mays or Mickey Mandel or at center field. I would assume those are probably going to be towards the top and in right, uh, like I said, when you're known as Hank and Babe and you know who you're talking about in right field, it's one of those two I'm assuming is going to be our number one. So we'll take a look at those lists coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there will be a second podcast uh, coming out yet this week as we wrap up our division-by-division division preview as we look at the AL West and NL West looking at the upcoming season. So stick, stick around uh, for that later this week, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you.